Welcome this morning. My name is, is Ross Gilbert, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and we're excited about this morning. You know, when we, when we started talking about starting a brand new church and, and the, the leadership group, the people that were, were kind of following God on this journey, this adventure, we, we talked about what we wanted to experience. What do we want that church to be about? And, um, you know, we kept, kept coming back to this idea that we want to experience community. But it's not community for the sake of community on its own. Uh, it's what community can lead to. I think if we were to be overly simplistic and overly reductionist, I would say it this way, that we're all here this morning because we want to know and experience Jesus. That's it. That's what we want to experience. And so the, the beauty of community is it allows us to experience God in ways that you couldn't without community. See, a lot of people think, well, it's just, just me and God and everything's fine. I, that's all I need is just me and Jesus. And there's some truth to that. You absolutely only need Jesus. The problem with that thinking, though, is that you and I are finite beings with finite minds, with small minds, some smaller than others. So we are finite beings. And how can a finite being understand an infinite God? We simply can't. But what's beautiful about this, when we get together as a community, as a group, we're getting to experience Jesus through one another. I get to know Christ through Peter and Christ through Mike and Christ through Greg. And we get to experience Jesus a little bit differently and, and start to see this infinite God through community. And so that's what we're really excited about, this aspect of community and, and coming together. The, the concern I have, though, when we do come together is that are we overly structured? So, for example, we, you know, this this week, you know, we plan uh, the songs and and we organize those songs and and we got a schedule for that. We're gonna have these two songs and announcements and what's gonna be in the announcements and then three more songs and and all those songs have been chosen by God. It's it's amazing to me how often those are the right songs for each Sunday because they fit in with what's the messages, even though there isn't necessarily always that communicating what the message is gonna be about. And so you can see God's working, God's planning through all that. And then, you know, the, the message comes and the message has been, you know, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, at least I hope. And, and so God can speak through all these different ways. But my concern is that we, we are so structured, we're so controlled that we don't leave room for the Holy Spirit. We don't leave room for how God wants to reveal himself. And, and in the scriptures, it's clear to us that there are many ways that God wants to show up, many ways that God wants to manifest himself. So especially when we get together in a public gathering like this. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, verses, or chapters 12, 13, and 14, Paul gives some instruction about what that could look like. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at those three chapters really quickly. So we're going to kind of, kind of motor through a lot of this stuff. But uh, my hope is that we're going to be able to understand more about how God wants to reveal himself and show up uh, each and every Sunday. So let's open up with some prayer. Holy Spirit, we're so glad that you're here. We never have to ask you to be with us because wherever we go, you're there. You're in us always. So we thank you for that. But we do ask, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would reveal yourself, that you would show up in some powerful way in all of our hearts. We're all coming from different places this morning and struggling with different things. And, and really what we want to know, we want to hear from you. Um, what it is that you want to reveal to us? What it is you want to say to us? So we're trusting for you to speak life to every one of us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, there's three lists, main lists in the Bible that talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, and we're going to kind of go over the two, two of them really quickly and then spend a little bit more time in the third one. But the first list is in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 13. And here Paul talks about the gifts that are given to the church. Now, it's interesting, this word gifts in the Greek is the word doria. And, and it really just simply means that it's a gift. And what it's referring to are specific people within the church that have been gifted to the church to serve in particular roles. Some call this the, the various offices of the church. It would include things such as the apostle and the prophet and the evangelist and the pastor teacher. And so these are the gifts to the church in the sense that they are ministering to the church. They're leading the church and so forth. And, and so that's specific people in there. 
so for example, um, I would be one of your gifts to you. Sorry, no refunds, by the way, right? So I, as, as, a, as a pastor teacher, that I have, have a role, I have an office in which to serve you guys getting up here and, and teaching each and every week or almost every week. Right. And so there's various offices in there. And, and there are some offices that I would say here at New Life, we haven't yet figured out yet who those people are. And we're continuing to pray that God would either raise up or send people to fulfill those roles. Now, let me just say one word about the title aspect of it, because some people get caught up on the title. And if you need a title in order to do something, you're going to be in a lot of trouble because the title isn't the main point. If you need that title, what's going to happen when the title's taken away? The title doesn't make you special, be it pastor, be it elder, be it worship leader, be it, you know, whatever it is, the title isn't what makes you important. What makes you important is who Christ is in you and who you are in Jesus. And when you begin to understand that, you don't need a title. You just begin to do what God's placed in your heart. And often what happens is then the title will follow. I mean, that was true with King David, right? He was called to be a king. He was anointed to be king long before he had the office of king. That came later. And yet he was still able to exercise that as he led those merry men that he had with him. And so you can start to see if you're needing that title, you're in it for the wrong, the wrong deal. All right, quickly moving on. Romans 12. That's the next list of things that we see, the next list that God gives to us. And, and here he talks about these different gifts. And the Greek word there is charisma. It's where we often use the term charismatic. Uh, and so these, this charisma, these gifts, are, aren't speaking to specific people within the church, but rather they're speaking to the whole church. Meaning, whereas in the list in Ephesians is talking about specific people within the church, the list in Romans is talking about every person in the church. Every person has been granted or gifted in various ways. And so we've got some of those things listed on there, whether it be prophecy or service or teaching or exhortation, giving, leading, mercy. There are these seven what they call motivational gifts. And basically what it is, is that when you were born again, when you were made into a new person, God gifted within you a certain kind of desire, uh, a desire that just it motivates you. Now, please understand, this is not talking about natural talents and abilities and so forth. Uh, <clears throat> it's talking about empowered by the Holy Spirit. So again, my motivational gift mainly is that teaching part. That's, that's what drives me. No one has to stand here and convince me to teach. I just figured everyone wants to do that. That's, that's how I'm wired. And other people are wired differently. Some people are wired to serve. God bless their hearts, right? Whether that be cleaning up or helping in the behind the scenes and so forth. Other people are, are just driven to give. Any, any hands on that one, right? So they're just, they're just wired that way. That's how God's wired them, right? And so that's, a, that's wonderful. That's a motivational gift for us. But well, that brings us now to the third gifting, the third list, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul here in verse 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Now, what's interesting here, we've, we've, we've italicized gifts on the slide here. We made sure we did that because in the scriptures, it's italicized as well. If you have a good Bible, it's the Bible that's, that's helping you to understand how it works. What I mean by that is the translators of the Bible, they've, they've added some words in there to help clarify things. But they want to make sure you know that it was a translator that added the word, not the original writer, the Apostle Paul in this case. And so technically, literally what this word is, Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware of the spirituals, concerning spirituals. The Greek word pneumaticos. Go ahead and say that word. Pneumaticos. Isn't that a fun word to say? I just think that's a great word to say, right? Pneumaticos. And so he's talking about these spirituals. And yes, I think it is right that he's talking about gifts. But what's interesting here is, again, he's using a different word. It's a different word from the group of lists in Ephesians. That was Doria. It's a different word from the list in Romans. That was charisma. So what we're seeing here is these gifts aren't talking about the same list where he's just giving you in piecemeals. He's giving different lists that apply in different ways. Where the one in Ephesians is about specific people, offices in the church. The one in Romans is talking about every believer and how we're driven, how we're motivated. This list here in Corinthians is talking about especially manifestations of the Holy Spirit. How will the Holy Spirit show up? How will he express himself 
specifically when we gather together in, in a public sense, in a public worship, in a public gathering. And that's really important that we need to understand here. Because beginning in chapter 11, around verses 17 and 18, Paul started talking about when you gather, this is what it ought to look like. And he talked about communion and he talks about these manifestations of the spirit and so forth. That's what he's, he's talking about in this passage. So I say that because it might be a little bit different than when you're by yourself. When you're just you and Jesus and you're having some time and prayer and so forth, that might look different than how what Paul's talking about in this passage. Does that make sense? So kind of keep that in the back of your mind because it is going to be kind of important to what he's talking about. Now, these, these manifestations, these gifts that he gives for us, if you read here in verse 7, it says that these manifestations of the Spirit are for the common good. That's, again, really important, that these manifestations are not for you primarily. It's not to show anything off. It's not to confirm anything. It's not about you. It's so that others would benefit. Others would be blessed by it. That God wants to work through you. He wants to use you in such a way that others would experience the Holy Spirit. Others would experience Jesus. And so he gives us a list of what that might look like. It might be words of wisdom. It might be words of knowledge. It might be faith or gifts of healing or miracles. And then discerning prophecy and discerning spirits. Tongues and the interpretation of tongues. So there's a, a long list of different things that he's talking about here. Now, again, these are not natural abilities. They're not natural skills. And, and I say that because I've heard some pre preachers get up here and they talk about these lists and they say, you know, we have all these different spirituals, all these different manifestations of the Holy Spirit. What do you enjoy doing? Oh, are you good about count accounting? Well, then you, God's given you the spiritual gift of accounting so you can do the church's books. Oh, praise God for that. Oh, you have the spiritual gift of gardening, Sue? Wonderful. God has blessed you so you can mow the lawn. Isn't this wonderful how God has gifted you with the spiritual gift of lawn mowing? Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's not what he's talking about. To be honest, I think most of the time that's just manipulation. That's just trying to get people to serve for the wrong reasons. That's not what it is. It's not talking about your hobbies, your desires. And it's, it's wonderful. If you want to do those things to help out the local church, excellent. Go for it. But that's not what he's referring to. He's referring to specific ways the Holy Spirit will manifest itself when we get together and how he wants to express himself. And again, it's for the common good. It's not just for me, but it's for the edification, the benefit of everyone else around us. Now, we're going to focus in on two of those in particular because Paul spends the majority of his time in, the, in chapters 12, 13, 14 talking about two in particular. And those are speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy. Now, two things. I've, I've struggled with sharing this message. I struggled over, you know, is this the right message to give and, and, and so forth. And, and part of it is because when, when we gather here on a Sunday morning, I, my goal in, in sharing with you guys is I want to share life with you. And I don't mean like share life, common life. I want to share the uncommon life of Jesus Christ. I want you walking out of here on a Sunday morning going, wow, God spoke to me that I, I feel encouraged. I feel that there's hope in this world because it's a miserable world out there. I feel this, this abundant life that Jesus talked about in John 10. I got a taste of that at New Life Fellowship. So that's my goal. That's my hope. And my concern in, in this message was it's going to come across as a bit like policies and procedures. How do we do it? What does it look like and so forth? And what's the order around all that? And so my concern was like, I don't want it to be so structured and regimented that you don't hear life from this. But at the same time, I was thinking, but God, this is part of how you want to run the church. And this, is, this can lead to experiencing life down the road. Because it's more than just what this Sunday. This is hopefully setting us up for what we can expect each and every Sunday, each and every time that we gather. And not even just on a Sunday morning, but hopefully throughout the week when we gather as groups even as well. Because God wants to show up. So that's where my hope is at the very least we'll experience life in that. But I also hope you experience life this morning. But here's the other reason, the real reason that freaks me out if I'm just being brutally honest. This whole speaking in tongues thing, that just weirds me out. It really does. See, you have to understand, I, I grew up in a faith tradition where, where it was taught that it ended. 
that this doesn't happen anymore because it, it just is too freaky. It's too weird for us. So it was taught that the moment the scriptures were closed, the moment they finished writing the book of Revelation, there is no more speaking in tongues. Problem solved. We don't have to worry about it. So we don't feel weird. And that's how I grew up. And so I've never really seen it. I've never really experienced it in a, in a way that is, is, I think, what Scripture is talking about. So it really does freak me out in some ways. But it also really excites me. Because here's why. I'm all about experiencing Jesus. I'm all about whatever he wants to give. I'm here, Jesus. Lay it on me. And what excites me about the potential of this is getting to see Jesus in each and every one of you. Seeing, seeing you get up and share in, on a Sunday morning or when we're gathering sometime throughout the week, seeing God manifest, show up through you. So that's what I'm excited about and that's what we're going to look forward to. Amen? All right. So here's the other thing, though, I would say. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, Paul writes this. What is the outcome, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, that would be singing, right? So we've had that with the worship. Each one has a teaching. That would be what I'm doing right now. Another has a revelation. That would essentially be a prophecy. And we'll explain that one. Another has a tongue and an interpretation. And let all be done for edification. The implication that Paul's saying is, it's going to happen. Or it ought to be happening at the very least. So we want to talk about it. We want to explore it because we want to see it. I don't know if it's going to happen every week. And if it does, I'm all for it. That's great. But I do think it's going to happen. So as Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware. So that's what we want to see. We want to actually see if we can understand it. So let's look at first about speaking in tongues, right? And again, we're not, we're not talking about speaking in tongues in private when it's just you and Jesus sitting in you know, your room or in your car uh, while you're driving or just sitting in traffic. We're talking about a public gathering. When we gather together as a group, open to the public, what does that speaking in tongues kind of look like? Now, again, I'm, I'm not, I've never experienced it. I've never done it. I've never spoken in, a, in another tongue. Some would say, I don't even speak English well, so why would you even try and take on another language? And I totally get that, right? But, um, but it, it is there. And so we need, to, we need to understand what this is, right? And, and so what, um, what we're going to look at here is, first off, not everyone speaks in tongues, that's really important to understand. In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 30, Paul says this, all do not have gifts of healing. Meaning, does everyone have the power to heal people? No, right? Not all have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Now, he, he goes on later and says, I wish that you would speak in tongues. So he's not, he's not putting it down. He's not diminishing it, but it's not everyone that speaks it. And, and I say that because there are some churches that teach that it is a, a, a sign of faith, that you've come to faith in Christ, that, that if you're a true believer, you ought to be able to, to speak in tongues. Others see it as a sign of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so you need to speak in tongues in order to, as evidence that you fully received the Holy Spirit, that when you got saved, you're only half full, but then you ask for a full fulling and then you're overflowed and now you begin to speak in tongues and that's the evidence of it. That's not the case. Bluntly, flat out, that is not the case. That is not true. And there's been so much guilt, so much manipulation, so much condemnation that's gone with that. And I've heard people, they've, they felt horrible, so they fake it, so they can get, you know, fit in and belong. That is not the point. That's not what it's about. It's not about maturity. And I say that because it's recorded in three times in Scripture of when someone began to speak in tongues, and all three times, they were new believers. So it wasn't about maturity. It was about something else. So we want to look at that, what it was about. The first two, one in Acts 2 and the other in Acts 10, they, they were more about, it was a sign. It was, a, it was conveying a message in the fact that they could speak in tongues more than anything. So the first time in Acts chapter 2 was at Pentecost. So this is where Jesus had, had already kind of floated up in heaven and he instructed the disciples to gather together and pray and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And so while they were praying in this room, the Holy Spirit descended and came upon them. It says there was like tongues of fire came on them and they all began to speak in a tongue. Now, what's interesting here, that tongue was another human language. It was an, a, a proper language. So some would have spoken in um, 
uh, Hebrew and others would have spoken Greek and others would have spoken barbarian and so forth. They're all speaking known languages. We know that because the people around began to hear that. And they're like, how are these people speaking my language? How are they speaking my tongue? And, and do you realize how that gets people's attention? Well, that was the point. Suddenly you had thousands of people coming and listening. Going, What's going on? What's happening here? And now that everyone's had their attention, Peter gets up and he preached the very first gospel presentation, the gospel message. And he talked about what Jesus did and the forgiveness of sins and how they can believe and receive that. And it says 3000 people were saved that day. So the first time it was about the birth of the church. Welcome. It's here. The next time it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 10. I'm not saying it's the next time it happened, but the next time it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 10. And here, Peter, he's called to the, at the house of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. He was a God-fearing Gentile, meaning he, he loved God, but he didn't know who, who Jesus was. And so uh, God led Peter to go and speak to these Gentiles. And he's in the midst of talking about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. And in the middle of that, suddenly they all break out in tongues. All these Gentiles and the Jewish people that were there with Peter were shocked. They were blown away because what it said, what God was intending to do is that Jewish believers and Gentile believers are equal. See, up to that point, the Jews felt that they were superior to this because Jesus was a Jew. It was part of their Jewishness and so forth. And for God to now send the same to the Gentiles and the Gentiles had the Holy Spirit to the same degree that the Jews did. That's what was shocking. So why was it recorded? Why was the importance of speaking in tongues here of these new believers? It was God sending a message. One isn't better than the other. So again, it's not about maturity. It's not about being more spiritual. God was saying you're all equal. Does that make sense? All right. So that's really important to understand. It's not that you're more mature or more spiritual and so forth. Um, all right. The next thing. The thing about tongues is what's so important. You need there to be an interpretation. Because otherwise it's pointless. So let me back up a little bit. In my studies, I, I'm not 100% sure on this, but in my studies, um, I think in the public gathering, when we get together, the language that's going to be spoken is going to be a known human language. Now, I'm not saying that there is not a heavenly language, right? There's some debate over this. Is there a heavenly language? Is there is a human language? I, I, I do think that there is a heavenly language. And I say that because in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, which means there apparently is some kind of a heavenly angelic language, which kind of makes sense if you think about it, because I'm pretty sure the angels aren't up there speaking English and I don't think they're doing sign language. So I think there's got to be some kind of a heavenly angelic tongue. And so I, I think there is that. And I think that can you can pray that in private. But when you gather together as a group, that's going to be a known human language. And there's a few reasons why I think that. Number one, when Paul talks about, he lists that in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the various kinds of tongue. And so various kinds, the Greek word there is genos. It's where we get the word genealogy from or kin or kindred from. It's talking about nationalities. So he says there are various kinds of national languages, which kind of makes sense, right? There's things like Korean and German and Romanian and Serbian and English and redneck, right? There's all these different languages out there. And so we have these languages. And so it's going to be a known human language. It's going to be a various kind of genos tongue. That's one reason why I think it's going to be human. Here's another reason why I think it's going to be human. The whole reason for the, the, the tongue in the first place. And I think this is where it's been most often abused. Most, uh, no, I shouldn't say abused. I take that one back. Can we edit that out? Thank you. So boop, 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 boop. it's been most often misused in speaking in tongues. And, and what I mean by that is Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians uh, verse 22, it says that tongues are for a sign to not to those who believe, but to those who are unbelievers. Meaning when someone gets up to speak in tongues, it's not for us believers. It's for those who don't believe. And let me explain why. 
Imagine, imagine being an unbeliever coming into this auditorium, coming into this gym, and you're sitting in and you're checking this out, and, and we're talking about what Jesus has done. Have you ever noticed that we talk about some pretty odd stuff around Jesus? He's God, but he came as man, born as a baby. And then 33 plus years later, he is crucified for your sins, all of your sins. Every single one has been forgiven. You mean even that sin? Yeah, even that sin. All of it's been forgiven. And if you receive him, then you'll be washed clean. You'll be united into his family. You'll be made one with Christ and you'll be crucified with him on that cross 2,000 years ago. You'll be buried and raised up and you'll be seating with him right now in heavenly places. That's what the scriptures teach. That is the gospel. Put yourself in the shoes of an unbeliever. That's weird. That's like, do you believe that stuff? Right? I mean, that's some odd stuff. So here's what's amazing. What God understands that, knows what they're feeling. So what he will do, he might manifest himself and someone would get up and they would begin to speak a language they do not know. Again, it might for me just be English, but for, you know, for others, it would be getting up and then all of a sudden they speak German. They speak Portuguese and they share a message. And again, that unbeliever is like, well, that was really weird. What's going on there? And then someone else gets up and translates that. And they're like, wait a minute. How did you, how'd you do that? How do you not know that language? And you, you just spoke it fluently. And this person over here who might not know the language, they interpreted it. And they interpret it properly because I know that language. Oh, okay. You got my attention now. And that's the point of it. It's a, it's the key to it. It's a sign for an unbeliever. It's not a sign for the church. We don't need that kind of a sign. Well, we need, we just need to hear from God. And that's going to be what the prophecy is about. But the speaking in tongues in a public gathering is for the unbeliever, not for the believer. Amen. Does that make sense? So that's why I think it's going to be a known language. Because if you get up and you speak in this heavenly language, which is, it sounds like nothing you've never heard before. And then someone else gets up and they translate it. Well, how do I know? How can I verify what the first person said is actually what this other person translated? But if it's a known human language, there's no way to get around it. Oh, you've got my attention. Here's the last part of it, why I think it's going to be a known human language. Because again, Paul talks about how, you know, when you get up, it's important that it makes distinct sounds, sounds that people can recognize and understand. And he uses a couple of illustrations. He says the flute and the harp. You know, if they don't make distinct sounds, how do you know it's the flute or the harp? Or he talks about the bugle. And, and if you don't understand the bugle, then how can the soldier get ready and prepared for war? That it's something that is clear and distinct. And too often when people start talking in that heavenly tongue, it, it just, it doesn't, no one picks it up. They're not distinct words because they don't know what's being said. So that's my thinking. That's where my study has led me to. That if someone's going to get up in a public gathering, they're going to speak in a known human language and someone else is going to interpret that message. And we'll explain that a little bit more as to, uh, to what that would look like. Making sense so far? Am I going too quick? Because there's a lot of ground to cover here. All right, so let's now talk about prophecy. And what's interesting here is Paul talks about prophecy and he tells us that it's a much better gift, that it's a superior gift compared to speaking in tongues. Now, again, he in no way is he putting down speaking in tongues. But what he's saying is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit through prophecy is far more profitable. Look, listen to what he says here in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 18 and 19. He says this, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Think about it. If I got up here and I spoke in a language, be it earthly or, or, uh, or heavenly, and nobody knew what I said for 45 an hour, however long, what has it done? What's it profited? It's benefited, it's profited no one. Paul goes on and talks about how our mind is, is unfruitful. It's passive. Nothing's happening. So he goes, I'd rather say five words, in our case, English, five words in English to you than 10,000 words in a tongue you don't know. Because those five words can accomplish something. Verse 4, chapter 14, the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies 
edifies the church. And remember, the whole point of these spirituals, these, um, uh, the, what's the word, pneumaticos, these, these spiritual manifestations of the Holy Spirit is for the common good. It's for the edification, the building up of one another. So that's what it's for. Now, there's been so much confusion around what prophecy is. And I remember going into that thinking, well, does that mean like fortune telling, you know, predicting the future? And, and is it about, you know, making things into, ha- into being and so forth? And the answer is no, that's not what it's about. Again, why am I saying that? Because scripture is saying that. Now, I'm not saying that, that prophecy does not include any sort of this is what's going to come down the road. That, you know, that there is a prophetic word that, you know, this is going to happen and need to be prepared. Because there are examples of that in the New Testament. There's a prophet named Agabus. And he had a couple times where he was able to foretell the future. He was foretelling that a drought was coming. Be prepared. When Paul was, was ready to go to Rome, he came to Paul and says, whoever owns this belt, this man is going to be put in chains. He's going to be imprisoned. And he was talking about Paul. That was a foretelling of what is to come, foretelling of what has happened. So there is a prophetic word where that would happen, and that would be done by a prophet, right? That would be that title, the prophet. A prophecy in terms of the public gathering is something altogether different. A prophecy is not necessarily given by a prophet, if I can be so clear. A prophecy could be given by anyone here. Anyone in the moment could be led by God to offer up a prophetic word for the benefit, for the common good of the church. So if it's not a foretelling, if it's not trying to foretell, bring something into the future, it's also not calling out someone's sin. That's not the point. Because again, it's a public gathering. There may be a time for that to pull someone aside and say, hey, you know what? I got to talk to you about this. This is not okay. And we, we begin to confront Robin about his love for the Ottawa Senators, right? So there might be a place for that sort of thing. It's not even here. So, oh, there's another one. So, all right. <laughs> That's not the point of it, right? It is not calling out for sin. Because if there is, Scripture says, pull them aside in private. Talk to someone in private if that's the case. That's not what this manifestation of the Holy Spirit in prophecy is about. It goes on for us and explains to us in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 14. The one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. That's the point. That's what a prophecy is going to look like. Oh, I, I thought about that. I'm like, well, that makes way more sense. That's why, again, Paul thinks a word of prophecy is way better than a speaking in tongues. Because a speaking in tongues is all about the miracle, the sign, the wow, this happened. They spoke in tongues, but that's where it ends. But a prophecy, prophecy speaks to your heart. Prophecy is a word from God in this moment to encourage Jeremy. But not just Jeremy, but also Sarah. And not just Sarah, but also Denise. That, that God is wanting to connect with us this morning. And that's what excites me. That the God of the universe, the God who spoke all this into existence, thought it was really important to say something to you on this Sunday morning. How majestic, how glorious is that? And that's what we want. And it's going to be about edification. Edification means to build up not to tear down. It's not going to be what a lousy person you are and you need to do more and you're not working hard enough. None of that. There will be no condemnation. Romans 8.1, there is not yet one single condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is not in the business of beating you up ever, flat out. It's not to tear you down. It's not to, to make you feel miserable and guilty, to condemn you. It's to build up to encourage, to exhort, to call to himself, to to console, to comfort, to come alongside and to, to strengthen. That he says, I know what you're going through and I know it's not easy, but I want you to know I'm right here. And in some way, in some, some phrase or words, he's going to convey that message to his church. So what does that look like then? I thought about that some more. And I realized, you know what? 
I've been seeing it the whole time. We just didn't call it prophecy. We didn't recognize it as such, but it's been happening. It was happening here this morning. When Peter talked about, you know, freedom to fail here, that was a prophetic word. Again, we don't think of it in that sense because we have this misconception of what a prophetic word is. We, we think it's about telling the future and so forth. It isn't about the future. It's about encouraging building up. If you were here last week, you would have seen it. When my beautiful wife was sitting right around here and she talked about how, you know, the people up here leading the worship are no different than the rest of us sitting on that side of the, of the chairs. It's just that these people have a little bit more practice, she said. But we're all engaging and worshiping together. And I reflected on that. What a, what a beautiful word of encouragement. A beautiful word of edifying and consoling and inviting people in. And I talked to her afterwards and she goes, you know, I, I didn't have anything planned. I just felt that God wanted me to say something. And so that's what it was. That's a prophetic word. Let me illustrate another one. We have a, a video that I want to play. Um, now, this one's a bit more polished, I would say, than the typical one. Uh, it's a very gifted speaker, a man named Graham Cook. But as I thought about what a prophecy looks like, I want you to see it. I want you to get an idea of what to expect. So let's play this video by Graham Cook. The Lord says that there is nothing that you can do that would make him love you more. There is also nothing you can do that would make him love you less. He loves you because he loves you, 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 because that is what he is like. It is his nature to love. And you will always be the beloved. And his love is unchanging. And he loves you 100%. He won't love you any better when you become better. He loves you 100% right now. And even if you have no plans to become better, he will still love you 100%. Because he loves you because that's the way that he is. And even if you don't want to change, He will love you 100%. Even if you have no plans to walk with Him, He will love you 100%. Because that's His nature. He loves all the way, all the time. His love is unchanging. What will change, says the Lord, is your ability to receive my love. And this evening, I want to cram some more of that ability inside you. So I challenge you, says the Lord, open your heart to me. Open your heart to me. And you will receive more of my love than you've ever experienced before. I dare you, says the Lord. Come on, open your heart to me. Give me your heart. Give me whatever your obstacle is. I'll take it. I'll remove it out of the way. Because I love you as you are right now. I love you 100% as you are right this moment. I love you as you are. So be loved. You are the beloved. It is your job, says the Lord, to be loved outrageously. It is why I chose you. That is why I set my love upon you that you would live as one who is outrageously loved, that you would receive a radical love, so radical, it'll blow all your paradigms of what you think love is. And no, says the Lord, I will love you outrageously all the days of your life because I don't know how to be any different. This is who I am. And this is who I will always be. This is the I am that I promised you. I am he that loves you outrageously. And you may love me back with the love that I give you. 
You may love me back outrageously with the outrageous love that I bestow upon you. And know this, says the Lord, you can only love me as much as you love yourself. So my love comes this evening to set you free from yourself. To set you free from how you see yourself. To set you free from the smallness of your own thinking about yourself. My love comes to set you free from rejection and from shame and from low self-esteem and from despair and from abuse. Because when I look at you, says the Lord, I see something that I love. I see someone that I can love outrageously. And I have so much to bestow upon you, so much to give you, so many places to take you in my heart. But you can't go there unless you allow me to love you. And my love for you will break every barrier, bring every wall crashing down. And know this says the Lord, my love damages fear. My love hates fear. My love will fight fear. It will fight fear in you. It will fight fear around you. And if you have fear this evening, says the Lord, then know that you have a treat in store because my perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear where I am present because my love casts out fear. Beloved, you are my beloved. You are my beloved. And in my love, I want you to feel good about yourself. Let me ask you, do you feel encouraged? Do you feel built up? comforted and consoled. That's what God wants to share with us every time we get together. And these, this prophecy, this opportunity is, is simply making room for the Holy Spirit for God to speak to us. Now, order matters to this. Paul felt it was very important. He says that, you know, whatever we're doing in 1 Corinthians 14, 39 and 40, he says, therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. And the reason he said that isn't because he's all about control. Why he said that it was about he understood that unbelievers might come. And they would listen because this is how they're learning about Jesus. And we didn't want to send them running for the exits because it looked like something out of Animal Farm. That, it's not about that. So it needs to be done in an orderly manner. And so in, in chapter 14, verses 26 to 40, Paul gives us some instruction of what that looks like. Now, we're not going to go in verse by verse to it. You can read it on your own. But I'm going to give you the, the Cole's note or the summary version of what that's going to look like here at New Life. So number one. It has to be about a prompting of the Holy Spirit. That's the key to all this, right? Because we're not looking for you to have your moment with the microphone and my chance to stay, stand on the stage and shine. That's not what it's about. There is something that God has put on your heart to share. And so if that's the case, then what we're going to ask you to do is I want you to come and speak to myself or Greg. So Greg's here. He's on the drums, the good looking man, according to Megan. Uh, Greg and I are the elders here at the church. And, and so we want to use that as an opportunity for a couple reasons. One, because it does talk about there being order. So we're using this sort of as a gate. And, and I say that because I heard one time that someone got up and, and they, they had something to share. And so they asked someone, is it OK if I share something? They said, sure, go ahead. And so this lady gets up there on stage and it was this great time of worship. And she says, oh, this is so wonderful. This is so great. I think my God should get together with your God and they're going to have a great time hanging out together. Okay, so we want to have a little bit of that to kind of say that's not probably from God to share. So we want to share, save that person maybe for some embarrassment and so forth so that we're going to have some kind of a, a gate towards that. Also, in terms of when is it time? When is it appropriate to share? 
And we're going to have to trust Greg and myself as the elders to kind of make that choice because maybe it's too late in the service or maybe there's a great point for it. And we'll say, yes, just let's wait this song and then we're going to go do it and so forth. So we want you to come approach either myself or Greg. Now, we realize, though, that maybe Greg is up here worshiping and or maybe he's in the, the Sunday school or maybe he's up here teaching on the Sunday and I'm away or I'm up here teaching and Greg's away. So we have other people that we want you to also to go to if Greg and myself are not available. And that would be Josh and Robin. And so the four of us, one of us should be here at this point somewhere during the service. And you could kind of approach one of us quietly and just kind of whisper, I got something that I think God wants to share with the church. OK. And what will happen is that elder and, uh, and, and you would come up here and we'll just kind of stand here in the wings by this wireless microphone. And that will be the sign to whoever's up here, whether it be the worship team, be the person who's speaking, they will see, oh, someone's got something to share. Maybe they finish the thought if they're speaking and they finish the song if they're singing, at which point the elder would then kind of introduce what's happening. Hand the mic over to you and then you get to share. Now, if it's going to be a speaking in tongue, before you share, we have to pray and see if there's an interpretation. And the reason for that, again, is that's what Paul says. Paul says, if there is no interpreter, if there's no one to give an interpretation, then that person is to sit down and be silent. Why? Because there's no point. You get up and you speak in a tongue, be it earthly or even be it angelic, but you have, there's no interpretation. It's meaningless. It's just words hanging in the air. And so if there's someone to interpret, then they would go and they'd share that, uh, that tongue. Now, I would suspect that that's going to happen less than the prophecy. And the reason I say that is because chances are most people here are going to be believers. But as unbelievers come in, maybe God will bless us with some of that interpretation, some of that, that speaking in tongues and the interpretation as a sign for them. So if you see someone coming up and speaking in tongues, begin to pray. Because God is leading someone to know him for the first time. Amen? Uh, scripture also says to limit it to two, three at the most. And partly because God understands nursery workers and how hard it is. And so he wants to make sure we don't run too long for that, right? And, and so again, you know, maybe the elder says, we don't have time for that. And you're going to have to defer to their wisdom. And, and just even if they're wrong, like Greg is some of the time. But just trust them with that, Right? Um, and then and then the last part of that is if it's a word of prophecy, then Scripture asks that Paul says that others will judge. it. Now, he says the prophets will judge the prophecy. And I don't know if we're at the point where we can comfortably say who has in that gift of, of office of the prophet. I think I have some suspicions of some people, but we're not fully sure. But what we're going to do is the elders at that point are going to affirm it or not. And again, if someone gets up and says, my God, you play with your God, we're going to correct that. Just so we're clear, because we need to protect everybody. But if it is a word from God, then we want to affirm that and that we would receive that. And maybe there's a call to action as a result of that. We're not sure. But, uh, but we do want to, uh, to recognize that. Now, with all that, you have total freedom to fail. Right? I, I thank you, Peter, for being the visual illustration this week. Um, Total freedom to fail. You are more loved when you blow it. Because we laugh, we get to have a great time about it. It's a funny story. That's it. You're still loved, but you're also more relatable. So we're kind of fumbling through this, I feel like. I think we have a handle on it, but we're kind of fumbling our way through it. But we're trusting that God's going to meet us through this and he's going to do something and, and show up in a powerful way. Oh, I don't have time for that. That's unfortunate. I'm going to do it anyway. So really, really briefly, because it's, it's so important. But it's, it's going to be really brief, so hold your questions uh, for Greg later. So in this passage, if you're reading chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians, you're going to come across a couple verses in chapter 14, verses 34 and 35. And in there, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to speak, that she should instead be silent until she goes home and then talks to her husband. All right? So Greg's going to answer that afterwards for you. <laughs> Okay, let me, let me give you a really quick answer. That does not mean women cannot speak in church. I say that for a few reasons. Number one, in 1 Corinthians 11, in verse 5, Paul talked about women praying and prophesying in church. So women are encouraged to do so. They are encouraged to do so here. 
I want to be very clear. There will be a woman up here teaching one, morning, one Sunday morning. That is welcome. That is encouraged. That is biblical. I want to be abundantly clear. So what does he mean? Why is he throwing those two, word, two verses in there about women being silent? What he's talking about, if you look at the context, it's all about prophets judging the prophecy. And then he says, now the woman is to be silent. If not, she should go home and talk to her husband about it. I believe what Paul is saying there is he's talking about the wife. So let's suppose... Greg gets up here and he shares a prophecy and it is really, really odd there, right? Way, way out there, right? Just sort of that my God should play with your God sort of thing. And Megan gets up and says, Greg, that was wrong. That wasn't right. What has that done to their marriage? Yes, it wasn't right. And it was clearly heretical and wrong. But now that's caused a huge rift in their marriage because Megan has publicly disrespected Greg in front of everyone. So Greg, being the kind of guy he is, will go home and he will stew over that maybe. And that's going to cause conflict in their marriage. So what is Paul saying? Wife, if your husband blew it, don't embarrass him in public. Wait till you get home and talk to him then. That's the be silent part. Let someone else humiliate him and share, save you the grief is what it's about. All right. So really briefly. So women, are they allowed to speak? That was a lot of guys saying, right? Women, are you allowed to speak? Amen. Right. And if your husband blows it, do you publicly humiliate him? No. All the guys should have said louder on that one. All right. Okay. Last thought. And then we're going to close here because what's interesting is he starts in chapter 12 all about talking and speaking in tongues and prophecy. And he, he explains it in more detail in chapter 14. But in the middle is this chapter 13. And, and it's probably, unfortunately, it's known as the wedding chapter, right? The, the, what love is. And it's so not about weddings at this point. What Paul says at the end of chapter 12, he says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. Earnestly desire this prophecy, which is greater than speaking in tongues. Um, but let me show you a more excellent way. Let me show you something that is even better than prophecy. And he starts talking about love. He says, you might speak in the tongues of angels or of men, but if you have no love, you're a clanging cymbal. Gong, gong. You may prophecy and have all the wonders out there and all the mysteries of the world, but without love, it's nothing. It's pointless. Love one another. That's what's so powerful. That's what's so key. That's what's so big about all this. And so when he, he wraps up that great chapter 13, he comes back to verse 1 of chapter 14, kind of transitioning back to what he wants to talk about. And here he talks about how it's good to speak in tongues. Right? Desire to speak in tongues. Desire these gifts. Right? Nothing wrong with that. But pursue love. That's way better. So when it, when it comes to spiritual maturity, it's not do you speak in tongues. It's not can you get up and give words of prophecy. It's how do you love? How does Christ living through you love other people? That's what maturity is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Oh, Father, there's so much here. And I, I pray that each person would go home and read these three chapters, 12, 13, 14, back to back, and they would understand your heart of what it means we get together as a group in a public gathering and, and how we can bless one another, how we could edify one another, be it through speaking in tongues for the sign of an unbeliever or be it through prophecy, which is a sign to us, a sign to us believers. I pray, Father, that there's freedom in this passage. I pray, Father, that there's life in this passage for all of us. In your name we pray. Amen.